This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Yes. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's hear it for our number one medicine man, super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Boo, hiss. I only did the boo so I could do the hiss because the hiss is is just topic appropriate. And hiss doesn't make sense, you know, without the boo. Yeah. It's just weird. What what are we, cat people? You need the boo followed by the hiss. If ever, if ever one were to hiss first, I would immediately not take them seriously. As it a sounds person. like you're booing your own hiss. Exactly. <laughs> so, right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about decorum here when it comes to nagging people in public. <laughs> you're you're Noel. I'm Ben. Of course. And, and uh, today, our boos and our hisses are appropriate because we're talking about something that's a little bit etymology. It's a little bit marketing. It is 100% ridiculous. Mm -hmm. No, we are exploring snake oil. 
Yeah, snake oil. Like, as a concept, as an actual thing that, that legitimately existed. Like, let's think of the, you know, I think maybe a lot of people's first experience with the idea of a traveling snake oil salesman was probably in the uh, the Wizard of Oz, in the oh, original yeah. Wizard of Oz with uh-huh. the guy, uh, whatever his name was, you know, who in the black and white version ends up being the the... the I guess when Dorothy's having her psychotic break mm-hmm. and uh, all the little details are Kaiser Sozaing their way into her brain, that guy represents the Wizard of Oz. But he, he travels around in a caravan that has a sign, something marvelous. I believe it has the word marvelous in it. And uh, he sells like tonics and stuff, you know, and like uh, like remedies, things purported uh, to to be cure alls, cure some perhaps. Uh, yeah, panaceas, your mileage may vary, caveat emptor and so on. I love that you use the word remedy because I I, um, I know it was a very dangerous time in history, but I miss the days when you could just put any stupid, possibly dangerous thing in a bottle, slap a label on it that said remedy and some highfalutin uh, esoteric language and people would buy it. That's like, that's snake oil, right? Some kind of fake treatment or cure, uh, a way to fix a condition that modern medicine just can't combat. You see it all the time, right? What Like bad skin, baldness, cancer, genetic diseases. What else? Oh, man. I mean, you, you name it. Basically, um, but but I do want to, to issue a quick correction uh, for what I said. It was uh, Professor Marvel, which is uh, cool because that sounds very much like a comic book character. I mean, obviously, we have Captain Marvel in the uh, in the Marvel uh, cinematic and, and comic book Marvel. universe. Um, but he wasn't selling he necessarily wasn't necessarily selling products like that. He was more of a fortune teller, uh, acclaimed by the crowned heads of Europe. It That's says, right. "Let him read your past, present, and." future in his crystal but the vehicle and the wagon that he's riding around in is exactly the same as those uh, made famous by these uh, very shady individuals you know roaming the countryside or whatever uh, in you know maybe days of great depression and 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 beyond um, trying to sell hapless individuals on some kind of thing that would maybe cure what ailed them but probably contained nothing but mineral spirits. Yeah, Better Business Bureau loves these guys. Kidding, BBB wasn't around. But I know you said something really interesting. I think maybe we start there. Snake oil, although now it means uh, any cure treatment that falsely promises extraordinary results, is and was a real thing in other cultures. Like, uh, let's go, let's journey back to the days of ancient Chinese traditional medicine. They used water snakes or oil from water snakes as a treatment for joint pain. And uh, I don't know, I like, I think we all have in the West such an association with snake oil as a term for con artists that we kind of forget the legitimate attempts that humanity has had using snake oil like it, it goes all the way back to the 1700s i think is the first time it, the phrase is used in print and old uh, miriam webster in his uh, famous dictionary does point out as you said ben the the first printed use of snake oil appears uh in the early 1700s but again with 
examples from, you know, ancient historian, uh, ancient uh, Roman historian, Pliny the Elder. We have examples dating as far back as the early to mid 1600s, referring to specific combinations of, of uh, snake juice, you know, <laughs> being ground and beaten and, and strained into something that did seem to be helpful to some degree. Uh, I think maybe my favorite one is this longer one from John French from The Art of Distillation. Ben, I believe you found this one. This is great. Oh, yeah. This is... <laughs> okay, so before we do this one, everybody needs to know that it is written in an older kind yeah. of tone. That's why it's cool. <laughs> right, so... The oil of snakes and adders. Take snakes or adders when they are fat, which will be in June or July, cut off their heads and take off their skins and unbowel them and put them in a glass gourd. Uh, no, why do you take the rest of this? Well, first of all, let's, let's just unpack a little bit of this one. A glass gourd? What does that just mean? A jar, basically? Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a glass, it was like a, Mason jar. Yeah, like maybe, maybe one of those jar. heavy, like a heavy mason jar, right? Uh, and then you have unbowel, which does make sense, you know, because, you know, to, but how does one bowel something? You can really can't. It's really no putting it back. Once it's unboweled, then you're kind mm -hmm. of done. But I've always heard it, you know, described as disemboweled right. um, rather than emboweled. So this is just a funny, I've never seen it quite stated this way before. So to unbowel them would be to remove their, their gutties. Yes, yeah. And then you pour a bunch of wine over it, and then you seal up the the glass and well you, rectified itself. <laughs> well rectified. Yes. Yeah, fortified wine, like mad dog forty forty mm -hmm, type stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh or whatever it's called. And then you have to just keep it there. Uh eventually, uh what John French tells us is that when this stuff has matured, you can use it to help people hear again. Or as he puts it, this oil doth wonderful cures in recovering hearing and those that be deaf, if a few drops thereof be put warm into the ears. Right, right. Yeah. No, I mean, if it's talking about removing earwax or gunk, then maybe, uh, but Spoiler, folks, John French did not invent a cure for deafness. Bummer. Yeah, that one's uh, pretty permanent. I don't think anyone's quite cracked that code yet. It, it is funny, though, because when I hear things like this, and again, no no shade on anyone that's into, like, holistic remedies or herbal remedies, and some of them, you know, again, your mileage may vary, but, like, things like ear candling, have you heard of this? That mm -hmm. These, like, things you shove in your ears and you light them, and they, you know, yeah. supposedly, like, extract the wax from your ears. Um, I, I've never known them to be particularly effective, but they do, when you crack them open, they're filled with kind of weird, gross stuff, so it does have the appearance of working. But um, again, I don't know, folks, if, if you guys are proponents of ear candling, let us know if that works for you. But of course, we are going to eventually get to where the origins of a lot of this kind of uh, holistic medicine comes from, you know, referred to often as Eastern medicine. Um, when the Chinese-American population started to kind of boom in the United States, a lot of these traditional remedies uh, or, or medicines were brought with them. Yes. Yeah. This is where we see the evolution toward the current definition of snake oil. There's a guy named Richard White. He wrote a book called Railroaded, and it's all about the thousands and thousands of Chinese nationals who immigrated to the U.S. between 
1849 and 1882, an estimated 180,000 people. Uh, I'm sensing a double entendre in the name of the book, as though they maybe perhaps got a raw deal. Again, of he's, sorts. he's a smart cookie. Know. Yeah, and it's a good <laughs> book. Uh, there's there's another guy, another author, David Howard Bain, who wrote a book called Empire Express. And when you read these two books together, you learn a lot about the demographics. So a lo- uh, the majority of these immigrants came from lower income families, peasant families in southeastern China, and they got signed up to these horrific contracts that would lock them in for, you know, five years or more with very low wages compared to their other co-workers, their European counterparts. So they had to resort to uh, some of their own traditional cultural practices when they couldn't go to a doctor or something like that. You know, not, not even putting the money aside, just the racism at the time made it difficult for them to get medical treatment. They brought with them this incredibly rich cultural history dating back thousands of years. And one of the things they brought with them was the idea of traditional medicine, including that snake oil that we mentioned from the Chinese water snake, which actually yeah. works a little, apparently. Well, it makes sense, though, doesn't it? It's, it is an aquatic creature. And so it would make sense, perhaps, that the oil from these water snakes might contain some of the same nutrients that fish contain. And to this day, people still swear by fish oil supplements, you know, because they contain a ton of omega-3 fatty acids, um, you know, which are apparently quite, quite good for you. And that's also a good reason why people like, you know, say a pescatarian diet is, uh, is better than, you know, being, uh, you know, eating all, all the meats, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As long as you can avoid the mercury. <laughs> so fair enough. Fair enough. So they did something that we see pretty often in the U.S. It's one of our favorite phenomena here. They took the techniques and processes that they already were very familiar with, and they substituted ingredients. Because surprise, folks, not a lot of Chinese water snakes in the continental U.S. So they started looking for other snakes. And what they would do when they made this snake oil uh, with the omega-3 acids that you're talking about there, Noel, they would rub it on their joints after a long day of hard labor. And eventually, as they were hanging out with other co-workers and parts of their cohort, they started sharing the oil. Like, oh, hey, Darren, or, <laughs> or whatever, uh, it seems that you said your knees hurt or your lower back hurts or something like that try this. Just uh, when you get home from work, just rub this on your joints and it will help soothe the pain. And again, the placebo effect Mm -hmm. is so strong. You're in a difficult working environment. You are suffering, you know, likely um, because of long hours and difficult working conditions. And someone offers you a a helping hand. Someone offers you something that they purport. It works for me. I swear by this stuff. Mm -hmm. Try it out. Oh, gosh, you're right. It does work. Tell your friends, you know, before you know it, everybody's gaga for this this oil, you know, they want. And who 
knows, man? It could literally just be the fact that it's a slippery, smooth, soothing, cool substance. You Ooh. know what I mean? It could be as simple as that. Um, and we know that these types of phenomenon are still very powerful today, you know, because of all of the weird bunk products that get peddled on TV or on like, you know, hucksters like Alex Jones's uh, network with Infowars, like a lot of that bone broth and things like that, you know, whatever. Again, we're not here to debunk any one particular thing, but we know that there are people out there that are trying to prey on those who maybe haven't done their homework or or are just are just really desperate and looking for some relief. Yeah, and we see that people were acting with good intention at the very beginning here. They said, we can't find the Chinese water snakes because we're not in China. Uh, in the U.S., people started thinking, well, any snake can work, right? Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? Yes. This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. rattlesnake oil was incredibly uh, popular, like through the 1700s. Uh, there's this thing I found from December 1742 that shows us 
snake oil was popular across the pond as well. In the history of the works of the learned, uh, this guy describes three types of oil in the U.S., snake oil, and says, There are three sorts of oil in that country whose virtues, if fully proved, might not perhaps be found despicable. The oil of drums, the oil of rattlesnakes, and that, here's the weird one, and that of turkey bustards. Turkey bustard, is that a type of vulture? Isn't that what that is? I believe. I believe I think so. it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a it's a ground uh, it's a ground bird, isn't it? Maybe so. I swear. For some reason, I'm thinking turkey vulture, but the word bustard is very old. Yeah, yeah. Bustard uh, bush turkeys. Interesting. You know, okay. Called. Wow. Yeah. Our bu- <laughs> man, I, lo- I love it when you Google something and then it gets- people also ask. First one is: Are bustards good eating? <laughs> <laughs> I got, um, I got, why is it called bustard? Yeah. What is the largest bustard? What does a bustard look like? Oh, weird. Bird Listen, names are so ridiculous. They are. We, oh, the, he's got a real, he looks, you know, honestly, dude, he really does look more like a vulture. Mm-hmm. He's got a real long kind of like snake-like neck. And this one that I'm looking at, he's covered in feathers. Um, but then he has those real reptilian kind of claws. Ugh, you know how I feel. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we know that, we also know that, People believed in this as genuine medicine. There's a guy named Jeremiah Barker writing for the Medical Repository in New York in 1802. And he is convinced that you could use, what was it, rattlesnake oil and a half a pint of bear grease Jesus. to cure yourself of colic. Okay. I don't even I, I don't even really know what colic is. Colic is something that babies have. I mean, that that's specifically uh, you know, you always hear about colicky babies. They yeah. have like a, like a cough or they're like really hard to soothe. But I've never really thought of it being anything that an adult would have. Yeah, colicky crying is louder, more high-pitched, and more urgent sounding than regular crying. So this would specifically be a treatment for a, for an infant or a small child. Yeah, let's give them half a pint of bear grease. Yeah, bear yeah. grease, man. Oh, Classic. Yeah. It's a staple item in every household. Bear, sure. so bear, bear grease is basically just fat from a bear. Yeah. And, and is. To, 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 this is actually going to kind of piggyback on the question that I was kind of holding in my back pocket here. Rattlesnake oil seems yeah. very... Uh, dangerous to procure as <laughs> as does bear grease and it seems like only a certain kind of echelon of like you know frontiersmen's would be able to acquire this stuff you know and uh, and live to tell about it yeah yeah it's also uh it still exists today there's you can find rattlesnake oil online or purported rattlesnake oil uh you can also find rattlesnake oil soap apparently which people some people swear by uh for treating skin conditions anyway this stuff expands pretty soon people are starting to use snake oil not just to refer to medicine but to all sorts of stuff it becomes uh it becomes a euphemism for liquor for like hard alcoholic mm-hmm. spirits and not and, as good as old granddad's leg medicine no no not as good no, as grandpa's no. leg medicine <laughs> thank you for shouting that one out uh at the end of the 19th century snake oil begins to acquire its current meaning a mixture sold as medicine usually without regard to its medical worth well and i wonder if that maybe 
figures into my previous point slash question. Like, you know, you got these the rise of sort of the the modern snake oil salesmen who are maybe like, wow, this snake oil stuff is booming, but snakes are scary. They're all bitey, bitey, and, you know, have venomous, you know, big old fangs. And, you know, I don't want to mess with that. What if I just, like, slap something in a bottle and said that's what it was? Who's going to stop me? As you pointed out earlier, Ben, there is no better business bureau. There is no consumer reports. There is no protection uh, or, or FDA, you know, for right. that matter. There's nothing in that uh, realm at all to protect consumers for these people. It was all kind of on good faith. And I think the, even the idea of marketing and stuff was still relatively new in the United States at this time. So it's kind of like, like, oh, the door's wide open for bad actors to come creeping in, even if maybe their intentions were good. But I don't think this Clark Stanley fellow's intentions were ever good. Uh, his intentions toward himself were good. Okay, fair enough. Can, <laughs> but, you, can you tell us about the Rattlesnake King? Yes, yes. Uh, former cowboy retires. His name is Clark Stanley. As he said, Noel, his street name is the Rattlesnake King. Uh, this is way before Tiger King, obviously. Our buddy Clark stumbles on to this idea, and he tells people that after he became a cowboy— he spent years with spiritual leaders in the Hopi native community, mastering, quote unquote, the secret of snake oil. He gets together with a druggist, a pharmacist, basically, in Boston, and he begins marketing his product, his snake oil, as the new cure-all for whatever ails you. He makes his own patent medicine. He's not the only guy in the game here, uh, but he is one of the most successful. There were tons of, uh, what's the word we use? Remedies, tonics, uh, purported medical cures for all kinds of ailments at the time. What about gout? What about gout? Walleye? <laughs> of course, walleye. Also, dropsy, uh -huh. left-handedness. Swolto? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Shufi? Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Ben, I was writing something recently, and Andrew Jackson came up, and I was trying to remember every single disease you said Andrew Jackson had when we did our episode about when he beat the crap out of a dude with a cane. Oh, he did do that, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of diseases we listed, and dropsy was one of them. Yeah, that's the funniest disease of them all. What is it again? Is it real? What was dropsy? It's a dropsy is a less technical term for something called edema. Okay, and edema is when a lot of watery fluid collects in the cavities of the body. So water retention. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why uh, we'd have to look into the etymology of how it became called dropsy. But before we do that, I love the term patent medicine, and I, I didn't know much about it. Uh, patent medicine, it turns out, had been around in England for a long, long time. And I think the reason people loved calling stuff patent medicine in the U.S. is because it felt posh. It felt established. Is it referring to the idea of, be, of being some sort of proprietary, you know, like patented, you know, form of, of treatment? Is, or is it, are those terms not related? No, they are very much okay, related. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, patent medicines are originally named after uh, a certain dispensation given by English royalty. You would mm. get the letters patent, which is a cosign from the big influencers 
of the day. So the first letter's patent is given to this guy who invents a secret remedy in the late 17th century. And essentially what this says is, hey, we, the royal family of England, we mess with this guy. We think he's legit and only he can make his secret recipe. Yeah, I mean, after all, it's 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 at least a couple of rungs above leeching and bloodletting. <laughs> right. So, yeah, you know, it's not it's not like they they weren't willing to try just about whatever. Um, but yeah, you're right. Isn't it funny how the blessing for these kind of things came not from a learned body of physicians, but specifically from the royal family who like practiced all of these barbaric, you know, like trepanation and all of these like insane mm. treatments over throughout history. You know, they were usually popularized by royalty. That's when, like, you know, everyone else would do it. He's like, well, the king does it. Of course we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't I drill a hole in my skull to let the demons out? What am I, poor? And so the uh, the funny thing is, with patent medicine in the U.S. at this time, very few products were ever actually patented. Instead, they just slapped the word patent on it and sold it from their wagons. And these things these all had amazing names, like the early English patent medicines. I thought you would enjoy some of these. Uh, Bateman's Pectoral Drops, Turlington's Balsam of Life, and, of course, the troublingly problematic Hooper's Female Pills. Yeah, just, you know, <laughs> again, that's the funny thing about it is, like, they're just so broad. Uh, it's, it's just beyond suspicious. But I guess at the time... If you have a little alliteration in your title and a snappy label and you have patent on there, then you're probably people are going to be like, sure, why not? Uh, and we're going to get to some some of these more um, like the the, the kind of dogged pony show of it all, you know, where you let's do a demonstration, you know, like the loaves and fishes and everything. <laughs> I mean, OK, not to compare these guys to Jesus Christ. Uh, that was maybe a bridge too far. But it is all about like, let's make converts of you by showing you that this stuff really works, you know, right. in a very public setting. Um, um, but oftentimes these people were employing plants, yeah. you know, and when I mean, I don't mean like, you know, bushes, I mean, individuals in the audience who were paid to do what they asked them to do mm. to like, you know, pretend to be cured instantly. Very similar to like big tent revivals and all of that stuff. 100%. You know? Yeah. Uh, jump in here. Uh, I have, of course, been digging around on Amazon looking for snake oil, literally yes. snake oil. I will say, actually, first and foremost, most of the stuff I find is for snake repellent, which is actually very useful. My mom uses uh, synthetic wolf urine to repel uh, critters around her house. Classic from, Mrs. Williams. Very classic Mrs. Williams from repelling them from her plants. But uh, so it makes sense having snake repellent. But uh, there is I won't name any brands because I don't want anyone getting mad at me. But there is one. It's just a bar of soap. Yes. That's made from snake oil. And if you go to product details, the first one is, is discontinued by manufacturer? And colon, no. No. That's the first thing. That's the first. The, the second one is the dimensions. No. That's the first thing. Cool. But I also found this other one, and I, I don't know if it actually has snake oil, but it reads just like something that is snake oil as it, you know, it is a moisturizing facial serum for anti-aging, acne scar treatment, goo-goo massage, face, hair, and skin. Goo-goo massage? I have no idea what it is, but I'm just reading it verbatim. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, thanks, we'll Jeff put, Bezos. We'll, we'll put a pin in that, Max, with the facts.
or with the very questionable the patent facts. Fair enough. There it let's is. Let's go. Let's go with that. But Ben, this is super cool. We've got okay. We got yeah. Female. Where we, I think we we last left off with Hooper's female pills. These were all smash sensations. We also have the very aptly named Dicey's Doctor Bateman's drops, which is confusing. Okay, yeah, who look, is that, it? Dicey's drops or Doctor Bateman's that, drops? Is, or like, is he Dicey? It's like that steakhouse that drives me Ruth's crazy. Chris. I, yeah, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Why? What is going? I've been there. It's nice. I've it's a it's nice good. place. But I, the I read name that it has something to do work. with a nickname or something. Like Ruth's son's name was Chris or something. So it was Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. You know what? You know what I can say to, they're, to justify their chefs. You know they're they're not language doctors. No. Uh, but but uh, they they make a fine. They make steak. a mean I've, steak, I've, yeah. yes, sir. And so. Dicey's Dr. Bateman's drops. Uh, that came from King George the first, and uh, it was uh, patent medicine, uh, and the patent was granted by King George the first in 1726. These patent medicines we just named were all very popular in North America at the time. The American Revolution still hasn't happened, right? There's no U.S. to speak of yet. But it didn't take long for enterprising Americans to look around and say, "Hey, why are we?" shipping this stuff all the way from England. Why don't we make our own home-brewed patent medicine and the numbers and types of medications or panaceas grew in the mm-hmm. decades uh, leading up through the revolution all the way to the Civil War. It was a great way to make money if you weren't concerned about hurting people. Right, especially if you weren't concerned about hurting people. Because, I mean, honestly, these folks who who decided to get in on this were clearly wise to the grift. And they were like, why bother importing all this stuff? We know it's bullshit anyway. Let's just (laughs) make it here at home and save us some tax and some shipping. Yeah, and at the same time, the Civil War is going to be a big, big part of the story here. At the same time, we see that there are rapid increases in industry, manufacturing, more people are living in cities. Uh, the There's still an absence of drug regulation, to your earlier excellent point. All of this makes a perfect environment for patent medicine, and a lot of people turn to it because they didn't trust regular medical practices of the time. And this is where we learn about something called heroic medicine. So before we call these people dunderheads or anything, we have to realize that official accepted medicine at the time was pretty gnarly and dangerous. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that it was like still, you know, even in, you know, I'm, we're, we're thinking of things that were maybe popular in the Middle the Middle Ages that are still kind of the order of the day. You sure. know, the idea of regulating humors and stuff using uh, techniques like bloodletting or, you know, the, the aforementioned, uh, you know, skull drilling or trepanation. So, I mean, any promise of like a, a, a cure that wouldn't require you to be bashed over the head with a mallet, you know, is probably going to be pretty attractive to the average you know, consumer. A hundred percent. Also, you guys want to know what would also be attractive? Hearing the story behind uh, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. So the story behind it is there was this guy named Chris who started a steakhouse in New Orleans. Yeah. And he kept selling it. Like he started the steakhouse, but he didn't really want to have it. So he sold it and he sold it in total six, seven times, uh, (laughs) buying it back six times because every time he sold it, someone would run into the ground. But the seventh time he sold it, he sold it to this woman named Ruth Fertel, 
who then went on to own it for a very long time and thus became, since it was Chris's, uh, Chris Steakhouse, it became Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. I believe we have a twofer on Max with the Facts. And I feel dumber for knowing that. <laughs> so he kept selling it and buying it, buying it back. That's amazing. That's, that's according to uh, this article on the Hill. Uh, why is Ruth's uh, Chris Steakhouse called Ruth's Chris Steakhouse? The Hill yeah, published it's, it's, that. It's a reasonable yeah. question. It reminds me of like what happens with like uh, a lot of you know Asian restaurants when they like you know they'd be like put numbers on stuff, put numbers on them, or be like the new version or whatever. Where's like, China just, Dragon One? Yeah, that was the good one. That also, good special one. thanks to Michael uh, Bartiromo for writing this article. Want to make sure you give cr- proper credit to thanks, you. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, uh, for so, sure. Uh, so here's the thing. Again, we might sound a bit like a broken record, but this is really important. Before 1906, you could put whatever you wanted in a bottle and sell it to whomever was dumb enough or desperate enough to buy it. Patent medicines didn't just not work. They often contained dangerous substances, alcohol, opium, other narcotics, stuff that's addictive. And again, they didn't have to publish a list of ingredients. For instance, you could just say, hey, is your child too loud? Take uh, Dr. Bonnaroo's patented uh, lithium of lethe. You know what I mean? Quiet pills. (laughs) That's something different. Uh, Check out stuff they don't want you to know's episode on Lake City quiet pills to figure Mm, out what that means. You're right, Ben. And I also tend to wonder, I'm sure there were ways to test for the presence of certain substances, but like probably difficult at this point in science, you know, for, for them to be able to parse out exactly what was in something. You know what I mean? You could probably say, okay, if I you know, drop this whatever substance into this, I can detect the presence of alcohol, um, but probably not the same level of precision that they have today when it comes to testing for different materials, you know? So there was really no way to even call somebody on it. At the very least, uh, you know, an average individual who might buy something like this and they would have no way of determining what was actually in it or not. Dude, literally, they would just run you out of town. Right. So you had to you had to get while the getting was good. After you sold your stuff, you know, you would meet the guy you planted in the crowd at the crossroads mm-hmm. out, out, outside of the town or city limits. He would hop in the wagon and you would be off to uh, whatever is day's ride away. It reminds me of a scene in the excellent Paul Thomas Anderson movie, um, The Master, where the character played by Joaquin Phoenix, I believe his name's Freddie, I can't remember his last name, but he's in the military and he, his whole deal is he can make really good hooch out of like whatever's around, uh-huh. like usually involves like photographic chemicals. I think at one point he like steals some jet fuel and he's just getting, you know, messed up out of his gourd on this stuff. And at one point, I think he stays behind after being discharged from the service and he's living in this village like as a farmer, like an itinerant kind of farmer, and he gives some of this stuff to an old man who ends up dying, uh, and they chase him out of town, literally, you know, run him out on a rail. Uh, this had to have happened, to your point, about, you know, if someone was coming through town and they were selling some of this stuff, and then somebody died, the only recourse was, like, pitchfork justice, you know? Exactly, tarring, feathering, run him out on a rail. It was a wild time. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? Yes. This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Back to our buddy, Clark Stanley, the rattlesnake king. The reason we're talking about patent medicine is because it's important to know he was just one of many, many flim-flam artists out there, but he had a national breakthrough. At the 1893 World's Exposition in Chicago, (laughs) he did a a really gross TED Talk. He took a live snake, he cut it, Uh, in front of the onlookers. That was his spectacle. That was his medicine show. And there's a great description of this by a guy named Joe Schwartz, director of McGill University's Office for Science and Society. It really puts us in the moment. Noel, would you be okay with, uh, with performing this quote? And Max, could we get some cool music? Ben, I'm honored. Thank you. Okay. Stanley reached into a sack, plucked out a snake, slid it open, and plunged it into boiling water. When the fat rose to the top, he skimmed it off and used it on the spot to create Stanley's snake oil, 
a liniment that was immediately snapped up by the throng that had gathered to watch the spectacle. Yeah, I love the, so, I love the idea. I love a good throng. Yeah, don't yeah. give me don't. Yeah, and, and and eviscerating the snake live in front of a crowd was a great way to sell things. Medicine shows were all about spectacle, and at this point, I'm persuaded, you guys, we should do an episode on medicine shows. Wait, wait, wait. But before we... Yeah. yeah definitely. But it, um, is, is it what it sounds like? I guess in my mind, I always think of a medicine show as being like literally kind of a traveling variety show, but wasn't was the purpose of it to peddle some of these types of weird cure-alls? They were a part of it. Yeah. They were a part of it. Like, uh, you're right with a variety show there. But there was medicine involved, you know. So this guy, Stanley, <laughs> brilliant marketing, even though he's a, probably a very bad person. He sells this snake oil liniment all the way up until 1916. He makes a lot of money. And he's going gangbusters with it. Problem is, there are two big issues with Stanley's snake oil. Uh, first... We have to mention, even if you believe everything Stanley says, rattlesnake oil is way less effective than that Chinese water snake oil it was trying to emulate. Chinese water snake oil contained almost triple the amounts of the omega-3s, the vital acids, as rattlesnake oil. But that's not even the, the big problem. The big problem is Stanley's snake oil did not have any snake oil in it. Right. Yeah. And we, uh, yeah, we, that was sort of, I think, both of our uh, conjecture there at the top, where it's like, you know what? What if I uh, just slapped a label on it saying that it had the thing and it didn't have any of the thing? And that makes it a hell of a lot easier for me, you know? And then it, then it all <laughs> then it all revolves around showmanship. It all revolves around sa the sales pitch, you know, because, again, there's zero uh, accountability for these folks. And by the way, I was just Googling medicine show just to get a sense, you know, all amazing posters that you can find that are oh, associated with some beautiful. of these. And this one here is called Hamlin's Wizard Oil, the great medical wonder. There is no sore. It will not heal no pain it will not subdue mm -hmm. uh, let's not forget let's not forget second on the on the poster like the, the opening act hamlin's cough balsam pleasant to take magical in its effects <laughs> so ben what you're saying is the only thing less effective than snake oil is not snake oil yes somewhat yes Max, that is unfortunately true. Things start to go sideways for our boy Clark in the early 1900s because of something called the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906. Thank God, yeah. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, we're here. A little bit of accountability. I think, didn't the jungle have something to do with this? That yes. book, Upton Sinclair. Mm -hmm. Finally, people were aware of how disgusting uh, and crooked, like, you know, a lot of industrial processes were around things that were being consumed by Americans every day. The Jungle is an excellent book. If you have not read it yet, uh, please do. I know that sometimes books from that period of time, um, they, they get unfairly called, you know, difficult to read or something. But Upton Sinclair writes in a very lucid 
uh, very readable style. And the jungle did change the course of U.S. history. And he was a real, um, not agitator, that sounds like an outdated word, but he was a political figure. He had like serious... Muckrocker. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he was a big uh, force in speaking truth to power and like, you know, uh, holding people accountable for, for their misdeeds. Yeah, yeah. He would rake that muck for sure. <laughs> and uh, And so Uncle Sam seizes a shipment of Stanley's snake oil in 1917, and the feds say, hang on a tick. This has mineral oil. It has some kind of fatty oil from an animal, but this is definitely beef. And then it has turpentine and red pepper. Uh, So as they're examining his product, they find it has no snake oil, no provable medicinal properties, and they eventually find Charles Stanley, drum roll, please, twenty dollars. That's that's about uh, five hundred bucks today. Yeah, that's that's the the old slap on the wrist there. I wonder if he added the hot pepper just to make people give give a sense of that snaky bite. You know, the the, the snakiness of it all. Yeah, yeah, right. Mm, I taste the rattlesnake. I taste the venom. <laughs> so, and we haven't even got into the right. idea. I, I know we're going to get into this, and I think it's really interesting. But the idea of like we, when we're talking about these poisonous snakes and their oil. Venom hasn't really entered into the conversation at all, but that's a whole other thing, right? The idea of like anti-venom and using mm-hmm. that to to treat people with snake bite or to like prevent people from getting ill, you know, when they're when they're actually infected with the venom. Well, I'm sorry, we'll get to that, but I just, that red that red pepper thing got me because that's like that's what they want you to think. It's like they also, I think there probably was a bit of a bravado involved in it. Sure, the the, the, the sales pitch, like, ooh, I'm I'm drinking the snake juice you know like i'm a big tough man you it's know? like drinking um it's like drinking those spirits where they have you know uh a worm in the bottle of tequila or a uh, right. s- snake in liquor which i've tried have you guys ever eaten snakes i've had uh i have had like snake you know nuggets or something like that you know okay. like and probably jerky form sure I'm, I, I'm pretty sure i've had some like rattlesnake jerky it's good it's kind of gamey and it's got a nice like snap to it but i feel like when i've had snake um in fried kind of nugget form it sort of tastes like chicken that's i mean fry anything you that's know. fair that's what fair. about you max what yeah. about you uh I, I at first i was gonna say no i don't think i have but as soon as noel said jerky i'm like oh you know what that rings a bell i cannot think of like a specific time i've had it but i'm i mean i don't know i think it's been discussed on here like in our when we, we did our cricket episode a couple of years ago I, I i'll pretty much eat anything uh-huh old snake snake jerky williams they call him out in oklahoma yeah, let's reason. get Max with the facts right there. Who's that sneaking in the phone? It's Max! And he's full of knowledge just for you right now. Here he comes. It's Max with the facts! <laughs> oh, man. All right. Okay. So the we have to admit, people probably did die as a result of this quackery. While the potion itself may not have poisoned them, it definitely did not help with whatever maladies they suffered from. And at this point, there is zero evidence that Clark Stanley himself believed in what he sold. This was definitely a grift. And the outrage of the American public over Stanley's snake oil led to better regulation for American consumers. People from every 
imaginable demographic except for snake oil salesmen said, hey, you know what? We should be able to trust that the stuff we buy is, you know, what we thought we were buying. And I love that you mentioned Upton Sinclair, that book specifically about stockyards. And they, uh, there's another author around the same time, a writer named Samuel Hopkins Adams, who does uh, a lot of muckraking on the dirty, dirty business of patent medicine manufacturers. Not to mention our buddy Teddy Roosevelt um, really, you know, we know him as like a bit of a naturalist and uh, he rides rough. Yeah, he's a rough, he's a rough rider. Um, He can't deny it. You don't want to F with him. You just don't want to. Um, (laughs) On June 30th, 1906, he was responsible for signing into law the Federal Food and Drug Act, which was then amended in 1912 uh, and strengthened created, uh, turned into rather the, um, even more powerful and actionable food, drug and cosmetic act, which was passed in 1938. This required extensive labeling to include lists of ingredients, uh, and also for, for manufacturers of these types of products. And it also prohibited manufacturers from making false and or misleading claims. And as we know, when these kinds of laws happen, it's like people find loopholes. They always have to kind of be adjusted and you have to sort of keep after folks. Everyone's going to kind of try their best to get around it. But these were meaningful changes. Wouldn't you say, Ben, at this point? Yes. A hundred percent. It sounds crazy to realize that there had to be federal legislation just to get ingredients on products. And it's incredibly important. The law required not a full ingredient list at first. It just said, hey, if you have the following things in your product, you have to put it on the label. What kind of substances? Alcohol, morphine, Opium, cocaine, heroin, something called eucane, which I wasn't familiar with, chloroform, cannabis, or acetanilide, or chloral hydrate, a bunch of, you know, addictive, dangerous stuff. They were, they were basically saying, if people are giving their children opium or laudanum, they should know. I feel like that's very reasonable. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Also, eucane is a drug that was previously used as a local anesthetic. Yeah, like lidocaine, you know. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Okay. Signed mm-hmm. as an analog of cocaine, and it was one of the first synthetic chemical compounds to find general use as an anesthetic, of course, going from Wikipedia right here. Well, of course. It's interesting, though, with cocaine, you know, we know how prevalent that was in all kinds of products, you know, even down to, like, Coca-Cola Classic. That's what the, that's what the classic stands for. I mean, with cocaine. cocaine. Cocaine and cocaine, similar things had been used for a long time. Yeah, or just like well, a general anesthetic too. Like, because I mean, Ben, you you found, uh, you know, in some of our uh, tangents and trivia section, which can be some of the most fun bits of these episodes, that cocaine was actually used like it could be rubbed onto the eye, like <laughs> to to make it like kind of still movable, like still mobile, but also it would like allow you to um, it would, it would numb pain, you know, kind of in and around that area in case oh, for you surgery, some, some surgery. But it wouldn't uh, paralyze the thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, as we know, I mean, pharmaceutical grades of a lot of these drugs were widely available for a very long time, uh, not only in products that maybe it wasn't clear if that's what was in it, but also just on their own. You could go down the street and get like, you know, heroin, 
you could get heroin at the pharmacy with, uh, right. with uh, I believe, without a prescription. Yes, that's correct. Uh, and it wasn't until 1938 that the U.S. government required all ingredients to be listed on products. This was the direct result of the brouhaha surrounding Clark Stanley and Stanley Snake Oil. People back then were just as smart as people are today. They worked with the info they had, but desperation breeds all kinds of strange beliefs. So it's no surprise that this kind of quack medicine continues in the modern day. I love that you mentioned anti-venom. I think it's a very uncreative name, but it's it's, it's not anti-matter. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what is this? Well, it's not matter. <laughs> so it's definitely not venom is the thing you need to know. The way it works is you inject a mammal, like a sheep, for instance, with snake venom, hope the sheep survives, and then harvest the antibodies it produces. Yeah, it's the same sort of concept as a vaccine. You like, and you take a little bit of the of the virus, and it causes your body to produce these antibodies, right? Yeah. Oh, antibodies as well. Mm-hmm. What is this? It's not a body. <laughs> so, it's the opposite, basically. And with that, uh, we are going to have to call it a day. Noel, I think both of us are kind of sad about this because it's pretty obvious that we're in love with the ridiculous aspects of medicine shows and crazy patent remedies. I mean, look, I'm sure some of these were events to behold, you know, like with all the the picking and grinning and all of that stuff, probably some wash tub bass being played, you know, uh, uh, the old thing with the with the, the spoons and all of that. Yeah. Um, but but you're right. I mean, it's it is it is it's not that much different than modern day music festivals that are sponsored by like Red Bull. You know, I mean, this is like the, the medicine was the reason for the event. The music was just sort of ancillary to get people to hang out so they would like buy the product and now it's like with these music festivals it's all just marketing man it's all just advertising you know like to to get you to buy your 35 dollar red bull and tito's in a special cup do you uh do you know what ham boning is what you're talking it's about kind of like spoons boning. but without spoons it's <laughs> yes. doing spoons with just like yeah like slapping your yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me, let me show. I'm Matt, not doing Matt, a very good job. No, yeah. you're doing a great job, Max. I don't know if we're going to use this audio, but just before we wrap today, I've got to show you my uh, one of my favorite uh, ham boning videos. I'm the the ham bonist in the group. Um, if you're not sure what that is, um, it's a person who practices ham boning. And when I started this way back a long time ago, All right, we, we don't need the preface here. Here he goes. Ham boner. Is, uh, it's only going to take a couple minutes. Uh, Noel, can you describe the scene here? Well, he kind of looks like, like a too. member of the Grateful Dead. Uh, he's seated in a, okay. He's sort of slapping his, yeah, here, I hear it. How can I not? He's got he's, he's got of, a bunch of people sitting around in a circle, and they're watching him rhythmically slap his well, thighs. Yeah, he's sort of slapping both the inner and outer portion of his legs and alternating back and forth. And now he's doing a windmill kind of move. <laughs> Holy yeah, cow. Yeah, yeah. He's really bringing the heat. Yeah. I like it. Steve Hickman, ham bonus. Yeah. It's also great because he has a lot oh, of okay, microphones. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's, had, he's got a lot of microphones around him to make sure it captures all of oh, it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, I, I do want to point out this guy isn't very good. <laughs> you don't think he's very good at handball? I just think he could probably be rocking some more complex rhythms than this guy. And he's, he's, he look, he's taking it so seriously, but... Oh, look at that little face. 
I just, I just think, you know, like if, if I'm, go- geez, Louise, if I'm comparing this to like bucket drummers or something like that, this guy's not that, he's not doing it for me. Right. I appreciate like the craft and the visual part of it, but the rhythm part of it is just, wow. I, I mean, I'm more interested in the spectacle. That's what I mean. No, you're yeah. right. And that's why we're, we're listening to it on an audio podcast, but I, th- I hope we did an f- okay job of describing it. Probably would have been some ham bonus hanging out at these medicine shows. Yo, a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, and with that, we're going to uh, we're going to head off to the dusty trail. We're on to another town to peddle our podcast wares. In the meantime, uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning in. Thanks to all our ridiculous historians. Thanks to the medicine man, Mr. Max Williams. Uh, what kind of patent medicine would Jonathan Strickland peddle? Instant death or <laughs> in- instant hair growth. Oh, no. come on. No, that's that's a little below the belt. <laughs> Nothing's below the belt when it comes to the Quister. That's fair. Uh, who else should we thank? Oh, and also obviously we'll thank Chris Rossiotis here in spirit. He's Jeff Coat. Uh, you, Ben, we already thanked Max. I think that, that does it for, for the thank yous. Um, we'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) As a high school student. Plus legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. You would pull the bag out and then we would eat eat all the leftover leftover chocolate chips which was a lot then you'd roll the barrel up up the hill and then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down and we've also had an amazing guest like mike the miz jason isbell carrie brownstein and corin tucker of slater kinney and many more and you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like change.dork (laughs) change.dork and congratulations you played yourself 
Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.